Can you hear me properly? Yeah. Oh, good, good. So, um, yes, my name is Sean Marston. I've met some of you here in April, March. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Everything's a bit blur. Um, yes, so I work for SIM, serving a mission, um, and we uh, send people overseas, short-term, long-term, to connect to the world to reach people spiritually but also physically uh, in their needs. And so I've been journeying with a certain uh, young woman in your church, Jessica, who I think you all know, and she's got up here a few times, I presume, and shared a bit about her story, um, which is great. Um, and so we normally do what we call a commissioning type thing, and in normal circumstances, she was going to leave the next few days to start heading up to Auckland, but everything got delayed by a month because of things in Zambia and medical registration and everything else. But since I was coming down this way anyway, we're going to do it now, and Jessica is just going to hang out for the next three or four weeks, and then she'll disappear, which I think her flight is the 21st of March, I think, to head away. And part of the reason we do a commissioning service is, is probably, you know, 30 years ago, uh, organisations like ourselves, we would have someone like Jess and we'd go to the church, thanks very much for her, please give us some money, support her and please pray for her. And then you would see her again in three or four years' time and be like, oh. And it was very much about the organisation, SIM, being the ones to take responsibility. And we would do it all and the church would just sit there. But now sending someone out is more now about a shared role in doing that. So in terms of sending Jessica, there's four different parts to it. There's herself, there's us as a sending organisation, there's you in the church, and there's also some in Zambia and the hospital where she's going who are going to receive her. So all four elements play a part in sending her and looking after her. And that's why we have a thing now called, it sounds fancy, but it's called a placement agreement, or PADP, which is like an eight-page document that we've all seen the four different groups and we've signed as a commitment to looking after Jessica. And it talks about things like partial care and finances and health and home assignment and various things, and it sets out the roles and responsibilities. Because the reality it is not just us, but it is you, as well as us, ascending her overseas. And last time I was here, I think I talked about the whole thing that her going is part of your journey, is part of your experience. And I like the way you talked about that, uh, I think John and Sharon, you're sending them down the road, long way down the road to Christchurch. But they're still part of you, they're part of your history, they're part of your story, and the same way you're sending someone a bit further to Zambia. But it's still the same thing. And so this morning, we just wanted to have a bit of time of a few of us praying for her, but also for you to recognize the importance of it. Now, I know when someone gets baptized, there's a lot of commitment. There's a sense of ownership, and we stand behind that person, we pray for them. And for me, it's the same thing when someone is heading out. They're part of who you are. They're part of your DNA, part of your story. And so we would like to do that. So would you like to come forward? Um, so how are you feeling? 
You're allowed to take your mask off at the front, apparently, if you want. How are you feeling? <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, so no, there have been yeah, like you said, recent ups and downs and delays, but God's been through it all, and I feel yeah, prepared, ninety percent eager and ready, ten percent anxious, but that's to be expected. Yes, yes, and it's good that you actually feel a bit anxious because it's part of the process. It is. In terms of, I mean, any of you have travelled overseas, but going somewhere that you're going to be placed at for the next two years in a context you haven't been at, which a hospital environment, which in some ways is like Blenheim, but a whole lot is different with a group of people. But also for you, for me, one reason I like sending people overseas because I like to see them getting a bit scared. <laughs> it's true. There's something about... Everything that's familiar with for you, a lot of stuff being stripped away. And it's interesting when you just like, because then it's about you, it's about you and God. And what that looks like, what it feels like, what that, the things that you've built into your life up to this point suddenly show up. And often what I always say to people that sometimes when you're overseas, maybe not after the first, you know, first month, it's still like, ooh and ah and wow. But after that, it can be a bit stressful. And as uh, my wife, who's a counsellor, likes to say, you know, when you're under stress, it brings out the best and the worst of you, which we all know. Yeah. But it's also a time of really recognising where is God in this process and this journey. Um, And so we want to be part of that beginning of that. So I think there's a few people who are going to come up and pray, if you'd like to do that. And I'd like to get the rest of you to stand again. I know, I'm sorry, you've just stood for a little while. But I think it would be good to stand because it is... It is a recognition of that. Um, yeah. So I've just asked a few people to pray um, for Jess as part of that, as part of the sending. So I'll um, I'll close. Lord, I thank you for Jessica. Um, I know her family. Um, We've been friends for a long time. And I just um, pray that part of the DNA of having family send you as well will be um, our story too as a church. We send you to Zambia and and to um, prepare your way ahead of you for um, serving people in that country and, and healing them. Because God gives you skills with your hands that can heal as he can heal in in their hearts. We just pray an anointing on you and a protection on you in that place. Um, But also an amazing joy that comes from being able to serve people in another land. In Jesus' name. Father God, Jess has been a part of this church family almost as long as I have. And it is such an exciting time to see her having matured and served you and now taking the ultimate step for you, Lord God, into the unknown. The excitement, the anxiety, which are all there, but as I prayed earlier today, you go before her, you go behind her, you hedge yourself around her and you prepare the way. 
And we thank you, Lord, that Jess can go with strength and with excitement. In Jesus' name. Yeah, Jess, I just um, just had, had this picture, really, of, um, you know, as, as we, as a, a church, just, I don't know, we, we, we come to a Sunday service, and it, it doesn't, it's not meant to, but it does happen that we get sort of, we can get our turbocharged. If, if the week's going bad, um, we, we have that ability to come along and get refreshed with worshipping and, and hear the word and that sort of thing. And you're going to, into an environment that that may not be as easy to do that and that you're really going to have to push into God. And, you know, um, there was an old song that we used to sing years ago, Into Thy Presence We Come, and it used to annoy me because you live in his presence. We all live in his presence. He's everywhere. So you don't come into his presence, you're there. But you're going to have to press into that and connect with him when, when things get tough and when things aren't going as well, rather than be able to maybe come along and catch up with familiar faces and that sort of stuff, because you're going to be there on your, on your own in that sense, working for him. So just be prepared to really dig deep and, and push into him. That's, that's just the sort of, you know, what I've got. Jess, I pray for you that God would give you a mother's heart that you would be a, you would minister with tenderness and father i pray protection for her heart lord that would be soft but there would be a, there would be grit about it too there, there would be a strength thank you lord jesus i don't know you but um uh, i know that you're you're on a really important mission I did a very short mission myself. I was, I was taken over by the fear, and um, and as a consequence, I didn't take my family with me. Um, but m- much of who I became came out of that that very um, difficult experience. Um, what I would say is that, you know, as a mission for myself, I couldn't do that because my heart always broke for the people I was trying to trying to help. And even when I saw the mission that you were taking on, my heart broke so hard. I couldn't ever imagine doing that. It's such a blessing to see someone who has the courage to do that. Don't be afraid of, of everything in life. And um, use your personality and the skills God's given you and do the very best you can. And that's all anybody ever wants from you. Yes, just while I was listening to Rodney praying again, um, James was speaking. The scripture, uh, Psalms 3.3, it says that God will lift your head. Um, and I just get a picture of that. God will be your strength all the way through. Where be, it will be tough, but God will be your strength. And the other picture that I got was um, one of a really calm body of water, like super still and a, a pebble being dropped in, and the ripple effect. The ripple's going out from that pebble, and that's what you're going to be like. You're going to have this flow-on effect that you're not even going to be aware of from what you do over there. Um, but keep holding to God, and he will lift your head in those times of um, difficulty. Yeah. I, two, two words there I have here, Jess, as we've been 
praying here this morning and preparing for, for your commissioning. I, I really just resonate with what Rodney was saying about there's going to be times where you have to dig deep. But I also feel that what God is, is there's, a, there's, a, there's a caution and a promise in that. And the caution is there are times where you're going to have to dig deep. But the promise in that is you are going to taste and see things of God that, that other people don't because they're contempt for a shallow well. And in the depth of that well, there are going to be things that God is going to do in you and through you and for you in your life and an experience of him that is going to grow out of you. And every single moment of that digging deep will be absolutely worth it. So don't sit here and hear it and go, oh, I'm not so sure. Are you trying to talk me out of this? I don't know if I want to go. It's actually, it's, it's this great privilege of what God is going to birth in your life because of that. And, and the second word that I had was that I felt that God is saying, you are both a continuation and a catalyst. And so as as I saw, and I was looking at at particularly Obi and Sharon, but all of these others up here have got various mission backgrounds and experience as well. But as as Obi and and Sharon, both of whom have been very passionate about mission uh, for a very long time, I was mindful that as they're laying hands on you, they're kind of commissioning you into where they came from. And and although it might be a different place, it's that very similar ministry, that very similar mission. And I felt like God said, you are a continuation of a work that he has been doing since the beginning of time. And so you have this excitement of going, I'm stepping into something that has actually been going on well before me and will carry on well after me. But also I feel like God said, you are a catalyst. Now you're a doctor, you've done some chemistry at some point, presumably. Uh, Catalysts are designed designed to speed up and create a reaction. And I feel that your introduction into this place is actually going to be a catalyst for what's happening in Zambia, but also in the world of mission, that as, young, as younger people are starting to head out, going on, yes, as this continuation, but also as this catalyst for what God's about to do. And, um, you know, our values here, two of our values here at Connect are heritage and legacy. And I just see for you so strongly in this ministry you're heading to that, that the heritage and the legacy are going to be two major parts of your story. And I'm really looking forward to hearing the testimony of that in years to come. So, Lord, I pray that you bless her. I pray pray that you would equip Jess with every good thing. As has already been prayed, you've gone before her, you've followed behind her. And, Lord, every step in between is ordained by you. And so, Lord, every delay, you have a plan. Every uh, every hiccup, you you can work for a purpose. And so, Lord, we just pray that as, as, uh, as Jess's feet touch that soil, she will know that she is at the right place, in the right time, in the right purpose. And as soon as she hits the ground, she would have a real sense of the depth and the power of the kingdom of God in that place. And that you would use her as both a continuation and a catalyst in Jesus' name. So, Father, we, um, as a family, we want to send her out. We want to acknowledge all that she has been here and all that she offers and her passion and the sense of call for many, many years upon her life that she's out working. But I pray that we may be challenged ourselves. We may be connected. We may pray. We may care. We may give. So that also we are changed as well through this. Amen. Thank you. Um, so this morning, just to finish things off, I'll do a... I'll share for a bit, uh, about the widow's offering, which you may think is like, hmm, what's that got to do with mission? But let me read it to you. It's the story of the widow's offering from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, 
But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins with only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into treasury than all of the others. They gave out of her wealth, their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So I want to show you a video. This is not necessarily an SIM video, it's an INF, an international pool video that I also work for. But I want to show it because it is about some widows. It's about women who have no place. You see, I don't think we understand the importance that Jesus is placing on this woman. Because if you were a widow at the time of Jesus, you were at the bottom of the rung. Generally, women had no place in society much anyway. But if you're a widow, you had no voice, you had no access to anything, you owned no property, you were basically nothing. But here is Jesus lifting up a person who's at the bottom who has hardly anything. So I want to show you a video about some women in Nepal who are just like this. Nepal, Dalit women are the lowest caste in society. They face discrimination in every area of their lives. They are poorer, die younger, less literate, often forced into demeaning jobs, and are discouraged from political engagement. They have no voice. Basanti Kori had no voice. I never spoke up. I thought I could never change my position in society. My children didn't go to school and we didn't know about basic hygiene. They played at home and were often very sick. International Nepal Fellowship has been working with some of Nepal's poorest communities for more than 65 years. Motivated by the example of Jesus, we live among and serve people on the margins of society. Our community development approach is based on living side by side with local community people. We want to help developing trust building relationships, and really getting to understand what life in their community is like. We help communities to see that they often already have the resources they need to bring positive change. Four years ago, INF established a self-help group. I joined as a member, but now I am the group facilitator. Someone may go out of the 
As a group, we learned about educating our children, proper hygiene and sanitation, and ways to deal with child marriage. As we shared our problems, we started to find solutions. I felt stronger and I spoke up. Now everyone listens to my voice. The first step is simply helping people believe that change is possible. We established self-help group within community, but the project that they tackle are laid and owned by the community, not from us. Basanti's children now attend school, and group members are encouraging others in the community to send their children too. I took a loan from the self-help group. With the profit from rearing goats, I started my own tailoring business. Starting her own business has given Basanti a new sense of dignity. Passionate about making change in her community, Basanti was recently elected for local government. Now, she has a voice. Now, I can speak up for anyone who has a problem. INF has established nearly 1,000 self-help groups in Nepal's poorest communities. Each day, these groups are taking action to improve life in their villages. The government of Nepal has asked INF to extend this life-changing work to many more of Nepal's poorest communities. Poverty is not inevitable. With your support, we could help thousands of people like Basanti to break the power of poverty. Thank you. Now the reason I want to show you the video is because I wanted to give you a visual reality of what it could be like back at the time of Jesus. Now this is modern day in Nepal, but actually the time of Jesus was no different. You see, if you're a Dalit woman, you're considered an untouchable, which means I don't touch you, I don't allow you into my house, I don't share a meal with you, I don't share a vehicle with you, you're untouchable. It goes so far that I visited a village in Nepal that had just had a major landslide, and 16 Dalit families had their houses destroyed and there's some people killed in the landslide. Nobody in that community would even rent a room to any of the Dalits, because they're the lowest caste, the untouchables. And so the woman at the time of Jesus is like a Dalit woman, the lowest, the untouchable, someone who has no standing, who you don't interact with. And I don't know about you, but even just watching that video, and I've been to various places in the world, I struggle to understand how does someone who feels on the outside even exist? If you know that you're a nobody, you have no value, no voice, no purpose, no one wants to know you, how do you even exist? I find it really hard to comprehend what that's like. But in this passage, Jesus is stating that this widow has given the most. Because she gave everything she had to live on, whether the wealthy gave out of their excess. 
Because the reality is, we are like the wealthy who give out of their excess. I'm not, I know that New Zealand has issues, and we have some issues with economy sometimes, and this and everything else, but actually compared to people overseas in Nepal or people in Zambia, we have access. We have plenty. But it's interesting to see what does this look like in reality for someone like this widow. And I've experienced this through my many travels across Africa, Asia, and different places, to be amazed at when people have hardly anything, how much they give out of what little they have. And if ever of you have ever traveled to the islands or Asia or somewhere else, you might have experienced that for yourself. Where you go somewhere and people give up their, their chicken or whatever it is to have a meal for you, and that's the most valuable thing. It's very humbling. And even in the world of mission, it's very humbling. Because there's a new movement that's been happening probably for the last 10 or 15 years where poorer countries around the world are wanting to send missionaries overseas. So there's missionaries now from places like India. And there's missionaries from places like Ethiopia and Nigeria and Kenya. And even very poor countries like Malawi and Zambia are wanting to send missionaries. And they'll do whatever they can to get the word of Jesus out there to be involved. And it's very humbling to visit some of these people and experience what it looks like. So I've got a, a guy I know, a friend, is Ethiopian. And he's been working in China for about 12 years now. And I, I knew him in Ethiopia and I met him in China when I was over there. And one day I was having lunch with him, he told me this story. You see, in New Zealand, when someone is sent out, they're normally sent out by one church, or two, or maybe three at the most, you know, supporting churches who give them money and stuff. He said to me that he is sent out by 1,000 churches. 1,000 churches. Because you've got to imagine, like, the, the partner church he works with, it's called the Kalhuit Church in Ethiopia. It has about 3 million members. Thousands, tens of thousands of churches, but often they're in small, remote, dusty backwater of maybe 20 people. And you go, and it's in a hut, and you sit on the floor, or you sit on a bench, and people are poor. So the Kalihua Church in Ethiopia has sending out missionaries for 15 years now. And what happens is they have a service, and somebody gives their little bit, and that church, that person takes it to the next level church, and then it goes to the regional head office, and because it's all done by cash. Because this is middle of Africa. And they don't just have an EFOS machine when you could donate to your missionary and stuff like that. But he said to me, when he goes back to Ethiopia on like a home assignment, it's really hard, because every church wants to see him. Because... They're the, they're, you know, we're supporting this missionary. And then he told me a story which I still just can't believe, but it's the story of the widow's offering. And he said he went to one service where during the service they had a time where people can come and give money to support them. After he'd shared, people would give money. And they play music and people come forward. And he said one little old lady came forward and as she was coming forward, she was crying. And she gave 
five burr. Five burr is about five cents. And she was crying because she had the privileges of being able to contribute to mission. And he said it was the most humbling experience of his life to think, here is this little lady who has nothing, is giving, and she was joyfully giving because she could be part of something. And he said he felt so humbled. And I remember, even me, when I heard the story, I was like, whoa, I didn't know what to do with that. You know, because here was a widow who was giving out of everything so she could be part of something. And I'm amazed time and time again of people in the developing world who will give everything to help somebody else for the spiritual and physical needs of somebody else. They want to be part of it. They want to be involved in sending and caring and looking after on people understanding God's love. And that's our starting point. For us, maybe not so much. Because when you live in a world of affluence, which we are, when you have plenty, it's interesting how your expectations change. And often we'll give out of our excess. We'll give that maybe it doesn't hurt so much. Because the reality is, people in the majority world, the third world, have a lot less capacity than us. And we have lots. What I like about this story is it tells me that no matter who you are here, no matter what your circumstance, you can actually play a part. And I think as you, you were saying before, one comment you were talking about, um, that it doesn't matter what you have to offer, even the littlest amount makes a difference. And for me, that's partly about what being involved in mission is about, whether it's, as I said last time, across the road or across the other side of the world. It's how are you contributing and how are you, therefore, creating a habit? Because it's interesting. Once you start giving of your time, your energy, your emotion, your finance, you start doing regularly, it becomes part of your identity. It becomes a habit of a way of you living, of you giving. And I've, you know, I've, I've watched that when I've got some uh, friends of mine who, you know, they wanted to make sure they would be secure, and then once I'm secure, then I can be involved in this. Or when I'm secure, then I can give some money. Or when I'm sec- but of course, the reality, it never happened because it became too hard, and it wasn't part of their DNA. It wasn't part of their habit. And so that's what I love about this story. And what I, my experience of traveling overseas is when I've seen people give out of not having much, then they're actually challenging the very story of what that looks like. And I know if you really thought about what Jess is doing, Jess is doing, Today, it is not the norm. You don't do this anymore. Maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that's what you did. It was okay back then to give up everything, to go overseas, to put things on hold, maybe to put your career on hold, to give up finances, to give up relationships, to give up connections with friends and family. Maybe you did that 30, 40 years ago. But today, to do it is abnormal. 
And that's the reality of what she's doing. But people I meet overseas, it's part of their DNA to just do that anyway. And like I said, I think some of you had experienced in your own travels overseas, maybe. People will give up something to you because that's part of who they are. And even in New Zealand with our, our Maori and Polynesian cultures and different Asian cultures I experience in Auckland, they have a similar thing. It's not just about me, it's about us and being involved with what does that look like. And so I'm willing to give up so that you may be cared for. So I just want to encourage you today to think about what does that look like for you? Because no matter what your circumstances, no matter what your background, no matter what your training, no matter how wealthy you are or not, everyone can play a part. But actually, it's about where do you start and how do you create a habit so that it becomes part of who you are but also that maybe it also makes you a little uncomfortable. Because that's what Jessica's is, is doing. She's making herself uncomfortable. And I think I talked about that last time. By choosing to do this, she is making herself uncomfortable. And I may have joked when we were doing commissioning about, you know, after a month or so, but that's the reality. Because a lot of things that you're familiar with, you're familiar with gets taken away. But it's often I found when you're uncomfortable that God seems to step into your world more. It's true. And that's why I enjoy traveling, well, not in the last two years, but normally I travel overseas quite a lot and working with different groups, is because I need to be reminded that life is not about myself and about being nice and comfortable and being safe and everything else, but it's about being uncomfortable. It's about maybe sacrificing. It's about giving up. It's about being involved. Because often, people in the majority world, the world, are more like this widow. They do that because that's just what you do as part of their faith and part of their culture, but maybe not so much for us. So let me pray. Father, we recognize that Jessica going out is telling a different story. She's walking a path that is uncomfortable, that is different, that is challenging even to us. She is willing to give up, willing to put in the hard yards, to be uncomfortable, to put herself on the edge so that people may know your love and grace in their lives, so that people may be healed, so that women that she meets, just like the ones in the video, may feel encouraged, may feel empowered, may have a voice. Father, I pray that as a church be challenged and encouraged, how can we learn to give up more? Whatever that looks like, not even just finances, but our time, our space, our energy, our emotion, our capacity, our home, whatever it is, so we can be a little bit like that widow and be passionate about being involved so that others may know your love and grace, whether it's across the road or across the other side of the world. Amen. Come on, can we honour Sean this morning for what he shared with us? And Jess, as she goes. It's, um, it doesn't take much.